Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought, that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory, as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're still in chapter 4. This will be our second part of chapter 4. We're taking chapter 4 in three parts. And today we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. Last week we looked at the first 12. And if you missed last week, go ahead. We had to switch days. Go back. I've got that podcast up. Listen to it. This is... Because chapter 4, there was kind of a change in the tone of the letter here from from the Apostle Paul. And he's now teaching, he's addressing the things that maybe they've been misunderstanding or not doing right. And he's doing some teaching in this chapter 4 and 5. Well, let's begin with a prayer, our usual prayer, for our prayer before the study of Scripture. If you have your cards with you, and and let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to illumine our hearts. Pray with me. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Well, this morning I've titled this section of our study, Comfort in the Face of Death. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians has a lot to teach us about death and about what happens in this world surrounding this thought of death uh, and this reality of death. And clearly it was troubling the people in that early church, in that uh, brand new church of of, uh, 1st Thessalonian people. And he writes some very, very comforting words, the Apostle Paul does. But we need to note that in the midst of these comforting words, he's actually teaching them. So we're going to break apart what it is he's teaching them as he comforts them. So I'm going to read the passage from verse 13 through 18. It really flows. I mean, I would read it all. I may just read it all just so you kind of get a feel where we're going. There's no way I could talk about all of this to the end of the chapter in in one setting. But... um, I'm thinking I maybe would just 
read it. What do you think? Uh, let me look at it here. Well, actually, that is the end of the chapter. Sorry about that. The, the sections overlap, okay? So the first 11 verses, uh, the, the chapters in the Bible are not always by the, where the real section should be. So when I said we're going to take it in three parts, I was thinking of three parts to the chapter four, but it's three parts to this study on death, okay? This idea of what's, what is it that they were getting wrong about death and what is it that they needed to hear in their teaching. So actually that would, I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 4, verse 13 to the end, but I'm going to continue on and read the first 11 verses of chapter 5. So we get the whole kind of the, the pericope of the whole story in mind. We won't go into chapter 5 much because we won't have time, but I want you to hear it all in one setting, okay? So I'll begin with chapter 4, verse 13. But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. But as to the times... And the seasons, brethren, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people say, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon, as travail comes upon a woman with child, and there will be no escape. But you are not in darkness, brethren, for that day... For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain our salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Now, let's stop there. In the end of both of those sections, at verse 18 and then again verse 11 and 5, he, he gives them the exhortation to take comfort. Did you notice that? Verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And then verse 11 in chapter 5, therefore encourage one another and build one another up. Clearly the Apostle Paul wants them to find comfort because they don't have it. They're, they're worried. What are they worried about? Well, they're worried about what's going on with their loved ones who have died. We see this theme repeated 
in several places in the Apostle Paul's writings. If we turn to the first Corinthian letter, and we haven't studied Corinthians in here yet, but if we did, we would find in that letter one of the things that he addresses to them is this concern about what happens when we die again. There was all this concern about what happens when we die. What does that mean in light of our faith? Because the hallmark, the cardinal doctrine of Christian belief was the idea that because Christ conquered death, we too will conquer death. And because Christ rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. And Christ promised this would happen when he comes again. So they're thinking Christ is going to come in their lifetime. They're thinking he's going to come at any time. Nobody in that day could have ever imagined 2,000 years would go by and we'd all still be having this discussion. Not, not in their wildest dreams, probably. But we know we're standing here on the other side of history 2,000 years later that it has. And, and so we look back into this scripture and we need to be really, really careful with this scripture. This is a scripture that is read at just about every graveside every funeral setting, especially at the gravesite. I use this scripture at gravesites. Um, we just did Faye's brother's funeral this week, and I used this very scripture at the gravesite um, because it speaks to our hope, and we do find comfort in this thought that what's going to happen to the dead who die in the Lord? And so first thing I want you to begin to look at here is that the Apostle Paul, is he telling them that because they're Christians, I'm going to ask it to you in the form of a question. Is he telling them that because they're Christians, they shouldn't grieve? No. What's he saying then, if the answer is no? Have faith and don't grieve because you'll see him again. But is he saying don't grieve? He's, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Bingo. We can't help but grieve. We're human. Grief is good, actually. You know, that's not just a phrase that Charlie Brown invented. Good grief. Grief is good. Grief is healthy. Grief is a part of healing. But there is a way to grieve if you're a Christian. Because what he's saying is don't grieve as those who have no hope. In other words, as the heathens, as the unbelievers, they have no hope. Death for them is the end. And so... There, there is this, he, obviously they are grieving as if they had no hope. That's why he had to say, don't do it. Whenever the scriptures, we, the, the writers of scripture, the apostles, and whenever they say, don't do this, it's because you know they're doing it. <laughs> when they address a certain problem, like lust and fornication and things uh, going wrong inside the church, and, and even these, some of these things, that's because they're happening and they're needing to teach them. Don't do that. And so what's happening here is that the Thessalonian people are grieving deeply. Can you imagine their excitement at their newfound Christian faith, <clears throat> believing in the hope of the resurrection and that Christ is coming again? Okay, remember the thought of Christ's second coming. And we're going to get to that as we go through this as well. There's a lot to say about it. But the idea that Christ was coming again was paramount <clears throat> to the hope of the Christian. Okay? Paramount. 
sometimes in our day, I, I fear that we've lost that. Because it's been 2,000 years, and I think there's probably, you know, we're pretty comfortable in our world. You, you know, here in America, we are. You know, we're pretty comfortable. We live a not a very persecuted life for the most part. Uh, do we really need deliverance from all this? Yeah, I know on some intellectual level we're Christians and we believe that he's coming again, but but do we put our hope in it? In another place, I think it's in the letter of, it's either Titus or Timothy, I can't remember which now, but Paul says that to those who long for his appearing, he says that hope comes to those who long for his appearing. We're supposed to long for Jesus appearing, for his second coming in other words. What's the last words of all scripture? Does anybody know the last line of the Bible? Anybody know it? In Greek, in Greek, it's this word, Maranatha. You heard of Maranatha before? What does Maranatha mean? Come quickly. The last line of the Bible, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That after all that's been said and all that's been done, especially in the book of Revelation, a lot in there that's difficult to understand, and it's a lot about death and heaven and hell and all these kind of things. And in, it, and in the last line is, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So my question is, do we really long for his appearing? Do we really long for the coming of Jesus Christ? If he came today, if his second coming came today, would you be okay with it? I hope so. If not, then by the end of class, we're going to have an altar call here. <laughs> we need to talk. What about, to me what about the hope of the unsaved? Yeah. You have people that aren't saved yet, loved ones. Is it being selfish to what? To want him to, to come want him when to there's come. so many. Okay, many good people. question. We'll talk about that. Next, mm-hmm. What's your That's point? I say, yeah, I want him to come, but yet I have grandkids and stuff that I don't know where they're going to be. Hmm. So, yet I don't want him to come because I want them to Yeah. Wow. Wonder what we should do about that. Maybe share the gospel? Oh, yeah. In some kind of loving way? How about this? How about live out the gospel in some type of way that they would want what we have? Not be afraid to share. Not be afraid to love. Not be afraid to be Christ to the world around us because it is lost. As we see things get worse and worse and worse. Yes, we, we hope. So often we use hope as a wishful thinking. This is not wishful yeah. thinking at all. It's, but, uh, it's based on certain, and we're going to get, that's a great point, Dorothy, because one of these words, this second word, uh, or actually it's, it's the, uh, <clears throat> the second word here, elpis, that's hope in Greek. Okay, and we're going to talk about what that means. You just, you hit the nail on the head. It's not just wishful thinking. It's a certainty. It's a certainty. Hope is a certain knowledge of what is, what revelation has been given and is going to happen. That Jesus Christ did die. He did raise from the dead. He did ascend into heaven. He will come again to judge the living dead. All the things that the creed says. And we've talked about the creeds, the great creeds, the Nicene Creed. So, as, as Paul is trying to give them hope here, he's trying to tell them, don't grieve as the rest of the world does. Because you know better. You have Jesus Christ and all of his promises. And the truth of his promises. So the first thing, we, the first Greek word here that I want to help you see today is lupeo. Lupeo means grief or grieve. Okay? Do not grieve as those who have no hope. Well, what, what does that word grieve mean? How do we, 
how do we define the word grieve? Well, in the Greek language, it, it meant deep distress. Deep distress is, is what grieve. I better write that up. There's so, there's so many words today. I'll just write the English equivalent here. It's grief, and it means deep distress. So when our loved ones die, we can't help but have deep distress. That's okay. Just know that in your deep distress, Christ is with us. Christ has promised to come again. Christ has promised to raise them back up to eternal life. Christ is all in all. And we're not to grieve as those who have no hope. Now, if we believe, and you said something kind of key here, Dennis. You said something about, you know, I've got grandkids. I don't know where their status is with the Lord. And I just hope to tarry until I know. Okay. How will we ever know what our families or loved ones' status is with the Lord in concerned salvation? We truly can never know. There's only one being in the whole world that knows, and that is God. Only he knows the human heart. Um, and one of the things that I like to counsel with people that are grieving and who I'm preparing to help maybe in funerals or ministering to them afterwards in, in the grief process. This might sound a little controversial, but we're not afraid of a few controversies here, are we? Because we can iron it all out with the truths of God. <clears throat> Those of us who are from the evangelical background, and we've been raised with a certain slant on evangelicalism, um, we sometimes think we know who's saved and who isn't. We sometimes think that we know what it takes to get saved and what it doesn't. Well, let me just caution us right there. We can't know that. Doesn't mean I'm not saying we can't share the gospel. I, absolutely, we need to share the gospel. I'm just saying, even if you do take that classic evangelical training and Go out and knock on doors and share the gospel with somebody and you get them to pray this sinner's prayer and whatever. You led them to the Lord and you feel good about that and they feel good about that in the moment. And, and then you never see them again. Does that mean they were saved? Maybe. Maybe not. Because what does it really mean to be saved? Remember, I've taught you in previous studies in here. The, the verb to be saved in the Greek language, soter, is used in three different tenses in Scripture. Have been saved, was saved, am saved, present tense, will be saved, future tense. And the overwhelming number of times it is used in Scripture, overwhelmingly, is will be saved. If, as Jesus says, we persevere till the end. Perseverance. So, there are some Christians that teach, well, all you have to do is pray that prayer and you make that decision and it's once saved, always saved. We're not those kind of Christians. Okay? I don't believe that theology. And, and uh, if you do, God bless you. We, dis we dif disagree. Okay? I will still counsel you. Don't put all your <laughs> hope in that because... Uh, there's an awful lot of scriptures that talk about falling away and, and things like that. So uh, keep an open heart and an open mind if you're one of those that believes in the one saved, always saved. Now, I do say I believe that once we're saved, 
we will always be saved if we so desire. I don't have to fear losing my salvation. God isn't careless with our salvation, okay? It's not like we're going to lose it all of a sudden because, oh, and have to fear that. God understands our heart. Are you sincerely wanting to serve the Lord? Do you sincerely want to be saved on that last day? Do you want to make it to heaven? I, I tell people, I counsel all the time, I don't believe that anyone will ever, quote, to use the phrase, go to hell by accident. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So sometimes, maybe, just maybe, there are people, quote, saved that we don't even understand they are because we may not see the fruits of it, what we think those fruits ought to be. But there again, aren't we setting ourselves up as the judge of what we think they ought to be? Well, I think does the chemistry of our body or the chemistry in our brain play, play a part sometimes too that people don't act, you know, and we can, we don't know. I mean, absolutely for us to say because they're acting that way, we don't know what's going on in right. Their body. We don't know what's what's going on with them physiologically, emotionally. We don't know what scars they carry. We don't know anything about them, really, in their walk of life. If we feel like we, we're trusting in the Lord, we're walking in the light, and we're trying to do our best, praise God, hallelujah, be concerned about yourself mostly, okay? And just be willing to love others. Be willing to love others and share with them. Because it's the... It's the condemning of others that has gotten the evangelical movement into so much trouble. It really is. You know, the, after a couple of hundred years of an evangelical movement amongst the churches of Jesus Christ in this world, I use that word plural, churches of Jesus Christ, because there's so many denominations. There's really truly only one church, okay, one body of Christ. But, but amongst all the different denominations, a couple of hundred years of evangelicalism and what we have now is, a, is almost a wholesale rejection of it because it has come across in such condemning ways to so many, um, albeit with good intentions. But you know what they say about good intentions. <laughs> so we, we come back to this, this word grieve. It, it's deep distress. We can't help but be in deep distress. Okay, But let's learn how to be in deep distress. Let's learn how to give our deep distress over to the, the spirit of the living God who wants to comfort us in all our afflictions, as it says in the first Corinthian letter of Paul. Uh, this, is, this is kind of the subject matter of the book, that, the last book that I wrote. My book was called, and if you haven't read it, I just got some more ordered. I'll be happy to give you one. Um, but it's called uh, A Presence in the Dark, Finding Hope in Death. I believe that when we look at the subject of death like we are this morning and like the Apostle Paul was, I truly believe that there is hope and that we can find hope. Even when our loved ones die, we can find hope, as hard as it is. But we've got to know how to look for it. And so the Apostle is going to try and teach them how to look for it here. And he says here um, in verse 14, let's just go verse by verse here, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay? But be very careful to circle the words, through Jesus. Through Jesus. 
We believe Jesus died. We believe he rose again. Hallmarks of Christian faith. The, the death on the cross and the resurrection. Can't have one without the other. There's no hope without both of them, right? And he's reminding him of that. Okay? Jesus conquered death by his own death, but he also conquered the grave for us to be able to conquer the grave. So through Jesus, what does that mean? It means through faith in him. Through faith in him, God will bring with those who through faith have fallen asleep. Now, the, the word sleep here is a metaphor for death. Okay? In, in the ancient world, that was used as a metaphor for death, and it makes sense, really, if you think about it. I mean, because when our loved ones die, it just looks like they go to sleep, and they can't be roused. But we don't teach, as Christians, that the soul is to sleep. There are some who believe in what they call soul sleep. We don't believe that. The Apostle Paul teaches that for me to die is to be with Christ. And we're alive. Jesus talks about being alive forevermore. Okay, so death, whatever we think of death, okay, and it's just a simple metaphor of sleep here. Whatever we think of death, death is not a permanent state. You need to get that. Death is not a permanent state. It's actually, here's what I really believe about death, and I go into this in a little more depth in the book. It's just a transitional doorway. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, as he's going to talk about here, the coming of the Lord is like in a blink of an eye, so is death. I mean, one minute we're breathing in this world, and the next second we are not breathing in this world, but we are alive in Christ. Or we're alive somewhere. If we don't have faith in Christ sufficient, we're alive, but we're just alive away from Christ. Okay, we've we've talked about that high concept of the place of the dead, you know, for the good and the bad, you know, until the final kingdom comes. In that sense, do you have a thought? Nope. <laughs> Can a spirit be um, destroyed? Um, so, a spirit, a soul, those are kind of difficult words. I don't believe anything can be annihilated or destroyed. I think everyone's going to live forever. The question is, where are we going to live? Mm-hmm. Nobody gets destroyed to the point that we just cease to exist. That's the teaching of some who would like to call themselves Christians as well. The idea... World, we can't destroy What's that? I said even in our physical world, we can't destroy things. We really can't. Energy can only be changed, not destroyed. That's a good point. Scientific fact. So here's the thing. Um, we're all going to live forever. We just want to know where we're going to live. And I want you to hear the Apostle Paul encouraging them not to despair if you're trusting in Jesus. In some ways, here's what I've come to believe. I think it's harder to go to hell than it is to go to heaven. God's love is the greatest force in the world. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to believe. I'm not saying, I'm, I mean, we can go into all that, but, but I'm just saying, in some ways, I've really come to believe it's harder. I mean, for those of us who are trying to trust in God, don't get hung up. Don't get, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, don't become a hypochondriac. <laughs> about whether God still loves you or whether you are going to make it, okay? One day, I was praying at the altar with some people. I had an altar call here. Uh, you know, I can't remember the sermon or what it was. Uh, I was, it was. I think it was in an assembly service or someone uh, was, because Pastor Williams was not the preacher. He was at the altar praying with me and another person. We were, made, we were praying with another man who was just struggling, grown up in the church all of his life, 
struggling with the whole thought of his eternal salvation and always afraid he was going to go to hell. Felt like he'd lost his salvation over and over throughout his life and had to get resaved over and over and over again. I mean, if some of this sounds familiar to you, I've heard that people that grow up in in the holiness movement have sometimes had those feelings. I, I didn't grow up in, in that movement, in this movement. But uh, anyway, do you want to, I want you to hear what Pastor Williams told him. Pastor Williams, God rest his soul, he told him, he said, you know what? We've been guilty of, in our movement, we've been guilty of creating spiritual hypochondriacs. Uh So you just said it right there. We've been guilty of creating spiritual hypochondriacs. Constantly worried. No assurance, in other words. That's not scripture. Scripture's filled with beauty and assurance of the love of God and of eternal life and eternal salvation. But it's also filled with words of admonishment, of exhortation, to do what? Persevere. Keep the faith. Keep on serving. Endurance. Endurance. There you go. Endurance. You don't quit the race halfway through and get the crown. Okay. Endure. Those who endure to the end uh, is another thought of Paul's that he uses in a lot of his teachings. So, I say all that to say there is hope. This last, the second word is hope, okay? And that is means it's based on certainty, not just wishful thinking, like we heard Dorothy say earlier. It's based on certainty. Um, he goes on to say, for this, 15, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord. Now, what's he, what's he saying there? This isn't my teaching as Paul. This is Jesus' teaching. Jesus told Paul this. Jesus told the apostles this. Okay, Because he, he's very careful to say this we. There's the apostolic teaching. It's not just I, the apostle Paul teaching you here. It's we um, when he talks to him. We declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, this word coming is this word parousia in the Greek, parousia. Okay, that means to come. Okay, now, Jesus is, as our creed teaches us, as our faith teaches us, coming again. He already came into this world once, didn't he? That was what we call, the, in the, Latin, the Latin word is advent. So we have the season of advent. That rings a bell to you, right? Just finished it in, before Christmas. That is the first coming of Jesus is the advent. His second advent will be at the end of all time. Okay? So the parousia is his second coming. There's only two. It's all Jesus told us about. Okay? Now, in many ways, he is always coming into our lives and our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we're talking about a physical manifestation, a physical second coming. Jesus talks about it in his Olivet Discourses. He talks about literally stepping foot on the Mount of Olives and coming, every eye shall see him. Okay, those kind of phrases. Literal physical second coming. The parousia means uh, coming. Uh, Some people get that confused with the rapture. Okay, let's talk. We're going to talk about that. Okay, we're not going to solve it all because we, we could be here for a couple of years working on that one. 
Okay, but we are going to talk about it because that's down here at the very bottom. I have two more. I have a Greek word and I actually have a Latin word. Okay, so a little Latin this morning, and I'll, I'll get to it. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Okay. So, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, we who are alive, left until his coming, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Okay, there's that physical. Jesus Christ himself will descend from heaven. In other words, step out into where every eye can see him. And with three things, a cry of command, the archangel's call, and the sound of the trumpet. Three things are going to note his second coming. Okay, three things. So this word here, with the, starts with a K. It's a little hard to pronounce, but it's it's kelumai. We we don't see that, don't hear that S in there in the Greek. And that uh, kelumai, kelumai, I think kelumai. That means a shout. Okay, that's the Greek word there. But it's not just any old shout. It's a shout as a command. It's a shout of command. A general commanding his army with a shout or something to that effect. This is how that word is used. Shout of command. Now, this one, we recognize that in, that looks like an English word, doesn't it? P-H-O-N-E. Phone in English. But phone in the Greek. And what does that mean? It means a voice, an audible voice, an audible sound. Okay, So that, that means uh, a sound or voice that's audible that can really be heard. Okay, so that's the that's the call of the archangel it says. Okay. And then finally the trumpet of God. Okay. Now this word uh, uh, this is hard to pronounce too. This actually with this gy at the end this is pronounced salpinx. Salpinx. Okay? The like p i n x, you know, salpinx. It's really hard to pronounce the <laughs> Greek into English sometimes, okay? Salpinx. And that is the trumpet, okay? So that means the trumpet. Why did Jesus, or why did Paul say that when Jesus comes again, there would be the sound of a trumpet? Call to attention. Yeah, you got the voice of the archangel and the trumpet. What does the trumpet represent? Announcing he's coming. It's like an announcement. Okay, one of the things, if you remember back to sometimes when we've studied about some of the festivals, the the big high holy days, the festivals of the Jewish people, a lot of their festivities were started with the sound of a trumpet. Okay, that blowing of that ram's horn, remember the shofar? Uh, Did that sometimes during during the Ash Wednesday service at the call, kind of the call to the beginning of the season of Lent, we blow the shofar, Blow the trumpet in Zion, it says in the book of Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on God's holy mountain to call the people to a fast, to sanctify a holy assembly, a sacred assembly, all these things. So the trumpet makes sense as these three things working together. When Jesus physically comes, there will be a shout of command, there will be an audible voice heard, and there will be this trumpet call heard. One day I was standing beside the grave. I was doing at Wichita Park Cemetery, was doing a burial. I had just read this scripture. As I told you, I do it every graveside, pretty much every graveside. And we were right near one of those tele, those big poles that has one of those blaring horns on it that they blow right at noon on the first Monday of the month or whatever, you know. 
And guess what time it was? I just read that scripture. And I mean, that thing was not 10 foot from us. I stopped in my tracks. Everyone there did a double check. Like, whoa. And I just stopped. I said, okay, we're still here. (laughs) I don't think that was the trumpet (laughs) of God. It wasn't the trumpet of God. It's the trumpet of the city of Wichita reminding us that this is a siren check. It was was eerie how that happened right as I read that scripture. But uh, we went on. Yes. Aha. Well, let's just say there's debate about that. Let's just say let's just say there's debate about that within Christian theological circles, and we're going to touch on some of that. That's why I say we can't solve it because this isn't a study of that. But 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 we're going to get to that. So look at this. It says here, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Yes. confusing. But look at the next phrase. Then we who are alive. So, so we, he's saying we who are alive, we the apostles, we the Christians, we, you and me, the Thessalonians, we are still going to, we who, if we're still alive, so clearly there are Christians still alive. I mean, this, is, this gets careful. We're, we're parsing words, but we're doing it on purpose. Okay, we're parsing sentence here. Because there are well-meaning Christians who teach and believe that when Jesus physically comes again, there will be no Christians on the earth because they were raptured out of here. That's the thought, okay? Now, and if that's your belief, and let's face it, that's probably 80% of all evangelical Protestant Christians. It really is. It was my belief at one time. It's not my belief anymore, okay? And we, I'll go into some of that a little bit as we go along here. But I'm not saying we can't have different beliefs and still have harmony and believe together. We can't. Because there are many beliefs on that. This whole idea of the rapture comes from the Latin word, and that's the bottom one here. Repair. R-E-P-E-R-E, and it's pronounced repair. And it means to, if you go give your car repoed, Okay? It means to take away. It means to grab hold of, to snatch away. Maybe even as if in, in something that, uh, that's robbed and taken away. Okay? The Greek counterpart, the word that's in the scripture, so when you hear people say, well, the word rapture is not even in the scripture. It's not. It's not. <clears throat> but the thought, if you were writing scripture in Latin, you would write this word. But because the scripture was first written in Greek, the New Testament written in Greek, the word is harpazo, harpazo. And it means the same thing. It means to be snatched away, to be caught up. So when, Jesus, when, when Paul says, then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them. There's the word. We will be caught up together with who? Who's them? The dead in Christ. He just told us the dead in Christ will rise First, and that's this word uh, that's pronounced uh, anisteme, anisteme, right here. And that means to rise up, to rise up. The dead in Christ will rise up, literally, physically. I want you to get this in your mind. 
literally physically, every grave in the world is going to open up. Every tomb is going to open up. Okay? Every, and everybody's not in a grave and everybody's not in a tomb, are they? Because some people died in an accident and they were blown to pieces. They're spread to the four corners of the earth. I mean, anything can happen. Cremation, ashes. But make no, no, no bones about it. Well, that's a, not meant to be a pun. <laughs> I didn't realize I said that until I did not. I'm not that. I'm not that clever and that cool. Trust me. <laughs> that's not. But <laughs> there will. You can bank on it. Every bones will be brought back together. All bones will be repaired. All bodies will be raised back up in the blink of an eye. And the dead come first. Imagine that. If, you're, if you happen to be one of the we that the Apostle Paul's talking about who are alive, you're going to witness that. But their spirit is already with God. Now, their spirit's with God. That's right. But they're reunited, okay? With the body. So, so the dead will reunite to, with their own spirit. In the spirit. Yes. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. That's why I always wondered when I pray about this and read this, I get goosebumps because to me, this personally, between me and God, is his third coming because of the <laughs> fact that the second coming was when he was resurrected and he went up, to, he ascended to the Father and he came back down and his spirit was with his body that we will have. Well, I, I don't, I don't think you, yeah, I understand what you're saying, I really do, but don't think of it as a third coming, because it's really not. Because it's the, the second coming the, coming the, together. The death, the death, his body was buried in the ground. Right. Or buried in the tomb, let's put it that way, okay? Right. It wasn't translated and taken anywhere. Right. So he didn't have to come back. His spirit left his body and went to Hades, as the old right. creed says. He descended to the dead. Okay, so his in the resurrection, of course, his spirit and his body were reunited. Okay. Yeah, but that's when, not really a coming. When he ascended to the Father, though, and he came back and he revealed himself and he told Timothy, "Go ahead, touch me." But he hadn't ascended to the Father yet. So okay. That's where you're. That's okay, where you're that's he why. ascends at the end of forty days. Okay. 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 And then he ascends, he physically ascends to the Father, and now we're waiting for him to come again. Okay. Thank you. So he what he did was just rose up from the grave. Oh. His okay. spirit, which came back from the place of the dead. Which, you know, there's a lot of weird teachings about that. All we need to understand is that that Christ, the, the ancient Christians have always taught us, and the creed says he descended to the dead, okay? He did not go to hell to suffer. He did not go to hell in order to uh, fight Satan for the keys, as some TV evangelists like to say. I mean, he's the Lord of life. He's the creator of the world. He didn't have to fight anybody, Okay. Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, if you remember when we studied it, you could go back and listen to that podcast. It says, he, what does it mean that he ascended, but that he first descended? And that when he ascended, he led free a host, a host of captives. Okay? So that it is ancient Christian teaching that when Christ died on Holy Saturday, in his, as his body laid in the tomb, he literally, literally, released the captives from the place of the dead who believed in him in his in his uh, death and crucifixion okay so so Christ's death was meritorious not for just those who believed in alive on earth then it was meritorious for every soul that had ever been born and every soul that ever will be born okay 
I know it's a little deep sometimes. Yeah. So. Then what um, do we do with, the, with Christ's words to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. I believe it was. I believe that thief's, that thief's body was put into a grave somewhere, but his spirit went with Christ. When that, whenever that thief... Christ died first. They had to come break the bones, break the legs of the thief. Okay, but you can bet that because Jesus said it that day, that very day, when he died, they laid his body in a tomb somewhere, a grave, and his spirit was with Jesus. So when we die, we're not necessarily physically going up to heaven, but we are with Christ. When so that's right. So when we die, so this begs the question: What happens when we die? What happens when we die? Our physical bodies are laid to rest. Some people are cremated. Some people are buried. Okay. I, some people are mummified around the world. Um, I'm not a fan of creation. I'm just not. i got to tell you, I'm just not. I really, And if you're planning to be cremated, I'm, I'm not saying God doesn't love you. Um, I'm not saying God won't raise you back up. I'm not saying that. I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, it is, it's over half of the business of funerals today. I understand that. And there are many reasons why people choose it, but it's just not the ancient way of God's people. Um, the body is holy. The body is sacred. It, it, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Scripture teaches us. And history is the history of God's people are replete with miraculous things surrounding the body the temple of the Holy Spirit. When a person's die, when a person dies, how your spirit's with Jesus, but how quickly does his spirit leave this hallowed temple? I don't know. Because there are many miracles. You know, we got we got a story in the book of 2 Kings where the somebody this dead guy was thrown into a grave real quick and touched Elijah's bones and he was brought back to life. That's in the Bible. <laughs> Look, there are many stories in history of great saints that were preserved. One of my favorites, I've told it here before, but it's been a few years, and there's newer people in here, so I'll tell it again real quick. Kind of this will segue us to our closing thought. There, there's a man that was a, a, a present. At, he was a, I don't believe he was a bishop, though. He was present. He might have been a bishop. Actually, I need to restudy my history. I haven't looked at it for a while. His name was Spiridon. He was in the first council of Nicaea, the one that gave us the Nicene Creed. Okay? He was one that argued for the truth of uh, Christ as God and man. He was, uh, his arguments are well preserved from the documents and the teachings of that creed, of that council, the first ecumenical council of Nicaea. And Spiridon, when he died, his body was buried, of course, uh, and uh, there was some argument over who should get his body. He was from one of the islands by Crete, I think, um, and there was some argument over who should get his body. You're going to bury it in Rome, going to bury it in Jerusalem, going to bury it wherever. And at some point in time, his body was dug up and taken, and do you know what they found when they dug up his body? Years later, okay, not, not just weeks later, but years and years later. His body was dug up, and guess what they found? His skin had not decayed. Now, you think, okay, Brad, that's a fairy tale. No. If you and I right now want to hop on a plane, and we want to go over to this little island, I think the island's called Corfu. It's right by Crete. 
If we and I hopped on a plane and went over there today, there's a church where his body has finally been laid to rest, and he's in a casket, and there's a glass opening over the front of it, and you could see the skin has turned dark, but it's still there. And that was 1,700 years ago. And people that came into contact with that body, they actually cut off his hand. And they took his hand because well, somebody, somebody wanted to take the hand with them because people, there were miracles done around when they dug up the body and somebody was healed and they said, well, we're taking the hand. And now his hand was reunited, I think in the 1960s, got reunited with the body finally because the hand got taken to Rome, I think, somehow. I may have a few of these details wrong, but the detail I don't <laughs> have wrong, because <laughs> I haven't looked at this story for a while, is the fact that his skin never disintegrated or destroyed or decayed. And it's not the only story like that, okay? It's just one of the more famous I've ones. Heard that story. It's one of the more famous ones. How does that happen? Because God was showing people the holiness of the body. This was a sacred vessel. This was a this was a hallowed man. And and wow. I think we should I think we should revere the body because it is God's creation, his his great creation. Yes, Ken. I was just gonna say his flesh would have obviously been preserved as well, wouldn't it? That's what I mean. His flesh. His flesh never decayed. Yeah, but uh, yeah. the muscles, the bones. And... I, I mean, you'd have to dissect yeah. it to see. I mean, yeah. it's, there's a body there. There's still the skin yeah. sitting on top of the flesh. So I think you're right. I mean, it has to be stuck to something, right? Uh, you're right, probably. I know it sounds weird and gross, but... How was he buried? Because there's many instances in history where the lack of micro... Yeah, I can talk right. Uh, like microbial... Mm-hmm. He was not. He was not there. He was not. So maybe there was nothing eating at his body. Yeah, but even if you have, if you take a human body, even if there's nothing to eat at it, it will decay in a short order of time. Within a few years, there would be no skin left. There'd be nothing but bones. You see. So, but he was not mummified either, and they know that for a fact. You know, there are ancient Egyptian practices of trying to preserve the body. So I say all that to say I'm not a fan of cremation. I just What, what great reverence we do. The, the idea of Christ, burial is a symbol. Just like in our baptism, we are buried with Christ. We are raised to new life. And so our bodies are buried, and they will one day be raised to new life. I, I love that symbol. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm not trying to talk you out of your cremation, if that's what you want. Uh, I'm just saying... I, I'm not a fan of it. Okay, I don't think it's a Christian's first choice, but it it is a modern choice, and there's a lot of it, and there's some reasons for that that, that I'm not going. I'm certainly not against. Cost. What's that? I say most of that is due to cost. Well, there's a big advantage there because it is a lot less expensive. Um, but uh, but I wanna I wanna I wanna close with this thought. Okay. As we look the very next line, that we'll get to this next week. Okay. <coughs> On the very next line in chapter 5, um, let me turn over to it. But as to the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Next week we'll talk about the idea of the Lord's second coming. We'll get a little more into depth with it and and what it means that he will come like a thief in the night, what it means that people will be alive, Christians will be alive at that time. And uh, 
he's going to talk. We're not through with this. The whole second Thessalonian letter is another letter written after this letter that dealt with this whole subject again because they hadn't quite got it the first time and Paul had to get even more explicit about it. So I, I can't teach it all in one setting, but it's going to keep coming back to us over the next several weeks. We're going to be in this kind of thematic about talking about end times, even though this isn't a Bible study to study all the, all the ramifications of the end times. Um, but Paul had a lot to say about it. But what, it, what we will say about it is, is what the creed says. Jesus died. Jesus rose again on the third day. Jesus ascended into heaven according to the scriptures. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. That's what the, that's what the creed says. Amen. Any last thoughts or questions? Last thoughts or questions? Yeah. That's not a thought or question about this, but oh. um, would you all remember Carol Coombs? And we, we, yeah, I mentioned that at the beginning. Said, yeah, okay, I mentioned that at the beginning, here. yeah. That um, funeral's on Saturday. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're going to keep them in prayer. Yeah. Um, and then um, also, and I don't remember if I mentioned this, I apologized last week, but a friend of mine, um, her son died of double pneumonia in his sleep. And he was 32 years old, and he has um, a wife and three young children. And um, Brad and I went to their service, his service yeah. in Oklahoma, and the families just had So they're, dev- they're a good example of people that are devastated in deep distress of grief. And, and while they do have faith, they're struggling now to figure out how does that faith comfort me. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. When I when Paul just says, don't grieve as those who have no hope, it's not easy. Okay, it's definitely not easy. Yeah. Uh, we will grieve. Kent, do you have another thought? I was just thinking that when he was telling this, writing this letter, there were no Christians there prior to that would be buried there because they're all atheists. Or That's right. In that area, they were the but new church. Was, he was telling them when they passed away. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. He's telling them what's going to happen when they pass away. Now, we want to remember Faye's family, too. We, she buried her brother this week, just a, just two days ago. Um, the Coons family this Saturday, the, the family, that our friends from Oklahoma. Death is the great equalizer. It comes to everyone. Okay, It's no respecter of persons or time. Some some die too young, some die too what feels like too late. But the reality is God knows. God is always merciful. Here's my belief. God is always merciful. Okay? No matter how death comes, somehow God's mercy was, was worked in that death. Whether it was even late or early or whatever. Uh, we, we do not know what the balance of that person's life would have been like. This young man is 32 years old. I don't... I can't even imagine how, on our humanity, we say, how is that merciful? Well, I don't know. What would the rest of his life been like? Might have been horrible. Might have been even worse. Maybe it was God's mercy that took him now. You know, but it just, it, we live in a fallen world. People, everyone will die at one point or another. And that, we'll start with that thought next week. I believe everyone will die. And I've heard some Christians say, well, people that are caught up in the rapture or people that were alive on earth, they just get taken up. Uh uh-uh. uh. There's still a translation. There's still a change. Everyone must die to inherit the kingdom. Okay, so we'll start with that thought next week. 
Let's close. Yes. She's trying to stay healthy enough to have her surgery, which is coming up February the 14th. So continue to remember her. Getting healed from the bronchitis, but still needs to get stronger for that surgery. Linda and Pat, I saw. Linda and Pat. Did he have? Okay. Wow. Well, remember them too. Wow. Wow. Let's keep them in prayer too. I have it. Linda. Linda doesn't share yeah. her health very well. Yeah. Uh, the only way we knew that she even had this kidney disease was we saw it on Facebook. Oh, wow. And then we talked to her Sunday about it, you yeah. know, and because mm. her whole family, her brother has has kidney cancer, her sister has uh, had a kidney removed, had cancer. She already has a sister that died of kidney cancer. Mm. Her mother died of cancer. Her dad had a heart attack. Wow. Anyway, it's just, it's hereditary, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she... Most of you probably already know she had breast cancer in the past and has mm-hmm. come back from that. So, mm-hmm. uh, Lots of concerns there. Lots of concerns to remember. Remember these people in your prayers. Yeah. Yeah, I've just recently learned of some of those. We need to pray for Bob. Yeah, he's, he's got uh, uh, a bladder problem. Uh, of course, his blood sugar is, they're still trying to control it. It's, yeah. it's really high. Uh, mm-hmm. The doctor's saying once they do get it back to normal, it'll actually be worse because mm-hmm. his body's not used to being normal. Wow. Mm-hmm. And he has some other issues, too. Uh, matter of fact, I'll see him in, in about 45 minutes. Good. Tell him gotta, Tell him our group is praying for him. Yeah. We just love him dearly. Tell him. Yeah. Well, let me leave you with this thought as we pray. Scripture says, blessed in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. We're talking a lot about death this morning. And Paul says that we find comfort in the face of death. So let us let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we open our hearts to you this morning in the teachings of your word, asking that you would bring your Holy Spirit to bring these words alive to us. Help us to find that comfort and we can comfort one another with these thoughts. So thankful that you conquered the grave, that you rose from the dead and that you are coming again. Teach us how to long for your appearing. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, unto ages of ages. Amen. Well, that's all we have time for today, and I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as he forms his spirit within you.